This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Hi, and welcome back to Lends Me Your Ears, the movie podcast that takes a look at current films, preferably in theaters or online or wherever we can find them these days, and then we compare them to films from days gone by, either according to a star, a director, a genre, or what have you, something that links these films together and hopefully helps you discover some great classics or near classics from days gone by. My name is Stephen Cook, and I'm an arts writer here in Halifax. My name is Karsten Knox. I write a film blog called Flaw in the Iris. You can find at halifaxbloggers.ca. And today uh, is our 101st episode. We recently celebrated our centenary 100th episode. I hope you got a chance to hear that as we talked about favorite movie experiences. And for our first episode after that landmark uh, show, uh, we're going to take on a bit of a a a sad note. We're going to pay tribute to director Lynn Shelton, who sadly passed away uh, earlier this month. Uh, and uh, a great loss for independent film, for uh, individual film voices, and for women in film. And uh, but she still has a, a fine body of work that's worth investigating, going back to her very earliest feature. Uh, and we're going to do that right after this break with a look at her most recent film, Sword of Trust. Stephen, nice to speak to you again, remotely, of course, as we uh, continue with Lens Me Your Ears, now into our hundreds, uh, 101st episode. But yeah, as you mentioned, this is a sad, uh, bittersweet experience, this episode. Uh, uh, Lynn Shelton passed away, I guess as of this recording, two weeks ago. Uh, She died of, apparently, an undiagnosed uh, blood disorder. Um, I haven't listened yet to her partner was Mark Marin, the uh, comedian. Uh, I have and you know actor. Of course, he stars in Sword of Trust, which we'll be talking about in a second. I have not listened to his most his most recent episode of WTF, where I guess he spoke about Lynn Shelton to some some length. Um, but uh, and I gather it's it's you know it's pretty sad. And and it it from a a, fil- a fan of film, I have to say that. Uh, it's it's a, it's really devastating that she should die so young with given how good she was and how much great work she had um she started filmmaking fairly late i think she was in her late 30s when she made her first feature we go way back in 2006 um she had but then she was off to the races and she made a number of films in pretty quick succession uh and also did a lot of work in television of course on this podcast lens me your ears we don't generally talk about tv but i feel like we should nod to some of her work on you know golden age of television series like mad men like new girl master of none shameless glow the morning show and the most recent series little fires everywhere which i haven't seen but i know you have steven um and yeah speaking of mark Marin, she she directed a couple of his stand-up specials that I, apparently i think are available on netflix um yes there's two of them uh, end times fun is the newest one i watched that actually on the weekend and uh i think what was the other one I, I can't remember the name of the other one but they're both on there if you if you just look for her name they'll come up or mark Marin, and they're they're both worth watching it, it's 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 definitely a kinder gentler Marin than we're used to from uh, his earlier work uh yeah so and he is 
quite impressive as a I mean I've seen him in a few things he was recently in Joker in a small role uh, but uh, he is quite impressive in Sword of Trust and uh, Sword of Trust is a film that uh, you know you you uh, before we start recording you said that one of the joys of watching a Lynn Shelton film beside the fact that so I mean, they're so intimate that she was a humorous filmmaker. She she really enjoyed characters. She enjoyed allowing her collaborators, her actors, to bring a lot of their own sort of thoughts and, and contribute in a collaborative way to the film. Many of the scripts were largely improvised, and she shot very quickly. Um, and uh, Sword of Trust is a little more of a shaggy dog story than some of her films. It has a little more of a political context, but uh, it's also a lot of fun, and it still has all those things that I have always liked about Shelton in 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 the film. And you know, and if if it's a hard watch, it's only just because of the fact that it's uh, you know that she recently passed away. Um, so yeah, I guess let's. I should say a few things about the plot, uh, and I. I, I don't want to say too much because this is one of the films where, I, as I say, you know, it's 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 best not to know too much and just go in cold. But it is more or less about a sword, a relic from uh, the Civil War that might be proof to some <laughs> that the South actually <laughs> won the war, contrary to popular belief and all history books. It ends up in the hands of Mary and Cynthia, played by Michaela Watkins and Gillian Bell, who intend on pawning it off to a local shop run by Mark Maron, uh, by, he plays a character named Mel, and his assistant Nathaniel, played by John Bass. Um, now that's where the sort of adventure, and I think it's fair to call this an adventure, uh, really this is more of a shambolic comedy, but there is an adventurous quality to it, it's just beginning. Uh, Lynn Shelton, as she frequently does in her films, guest, uh, or I should say not guest star, she, she, uh, she appears in a supporting role uh, as Deirdre, the woman that Mel still loves, despite the fact she's really no good for him for a lot of reasons. Uh, so there's sort of like this sword of tr of trust. Sorry, uh, it it, it uh, yeah it 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 runs through this uh, this story in a in a more metaphorical way as well as in a literal way, um, and uh, it also allows Marin, who is who is uh, really good in this, to carry the film, and he has a um, a monologue in the middle of the film, which which. Uh, it kind of it, it it provides a certain kind of emotional weight to the film that really really surprises, given how goofy it is in many <laughs> respects. Um, yeah, I uh, I think that's all I want to say about the plot. But I really liked Sword of Trust. I was, uh, uh, you know, I just it 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 wasn't. It's not a film like anything else I've seen in a long time. It isn't even. In many respects, it isn't even very much like Shelton's other films because it structurally has uh, some stuff going on, and it, it really has a subtext of of political commentary, which I found really refreshing. Uh, you know, it just feels like she was going in a new direction, and maybe that's what helps make it so sad is that uh, her passing. Uh, you know, just as she's she's trying new things, she was always trying new things, but this is. This is something entirely fresh and really enjoyable. Uh, Stephen, what did you make of uh, Sword of Trust? I really enjoyed Sword of Trust. It's it's uh, it is a change of direction. It's not filmed in the Pacific Northwest. That's a major difference. 
um, compared to the bulk of her films. Uh, it's it's filmed in Birmingham, Alabama, and I, I, even though it only takes in like you know one neighborhood where this pawn shop where the first half of the film takes place, um, you know you get a feel for this kind of slightly rundown southern town. Or city, as it were, uh, or neighborhood, and uh, it, it's. I think maybe she got a bit of a charge out of being in a new environment. I feel like that uh, that does enliven the proceedings somewhat. Uh, a different different set of characters, maybe than we're used to seeing in her films, um, with different motivations, different histories, uh, and uh, I, I, I feel like everybody kind of brings their A game to this film, uh, uh, and this is probably something that we're going to be repeating ourselves on a couple of points I think throughout this podcast but uh, she's always uh, said in interviews that character comes first that that the characters are the main thing and if if you relate to the characters the story you know th- there's only so many stories in the world I guess so uh, if, if the characters are vivid and and you can empathize with them on some level then uh, then the rest of it is gravy I guess and and that seems to be very true of, of her films and and of her TV work although obviously she's working in a different framework with with uh, her TV assignments, but uh, yeah, I, I just loved the way the humor came out of the characters. It flowed very naturally, and uh, and and Mark Maron, who's great on Glow, the uh, gorgeous ladies of wrestling series on Netflix, which uh, is also directed in part by Lynn Shelton. She handled many of the episodes of that series. Um, he he's great on there, and he brings that kind of hangdog, world weary kind of. Th- thing that is i don't know, i don't know if i would call it his shtick but he, he does it really well and he, he really embodies the kind of guy i've seen running a pawn shop or a used record store any of those kind of uh kind of fringe businesses that just kind of hang on from day to day and he, and he embodies that character so well uh in this film and and uh is really kind of the the heart and soul of it in a lot in a lot of ways but but also a great supporting cast um you know when we when we get into uh, you know Mary and Cynthia, uh, two great comic actors, Michaela Watkins and Jillian Bell, who have the sword. I mean they're fantastic. Uh, I've enjoyed their work and lots of other uh, lots of other projects. And uh, and Toby Huss, who's a great character actor, who I remember from the Adventures of Pete and Pete, the old Nickelodeon uh, TV show from I guess the '90s, early '90s. Um, you know he shows up as I guess one of the ostensible villains. Uh, you know just just uh, she she had a great way with casting those smaller roles in a way to kind of you know lift the lift the boats of of everybody else in the cast and and. Uh, you know, every, everybody seems to really connect in this movie, and uh, that, that's my long rambling assessment. But it, but it's just I love the environment of it, and and I love the way these characters kind of sit in the environment of this film. Uh, yeah, I absolutely agree. I and I love how how she you know takes a few shots at uh, conservative racist attitudes in in America. I mean, I didn't even realize that there was such a thing as uh, a group of people who think that uh that the south won the civil war uh like that's sorry the war of northern thing. aggression karsten let's, let's keep that straight <laughs> yeah yeah that's right that's right uh, there's nothing civil and, about uh, it no, and, and, and uh, i guess it's uh anyway it's <laughs> it, i i appreciated the the kind of you know she, the stuff she was playing around with, and again, as you mentioned, uh, having shot it in the South, there is a uh, there is a different vibe to it. And she was really good, also at uh, which we will talk about at using location and and having a sense of place 
based on um, you know on on exteriors and uh, just including music and tone and and uh, and just helping us place us in the story and I, I always appreciated that in her films but uh, uh, and you know um, this is something that I, that I've noticed uh, quite a bit I've heard of quite a bit since she passed away a couple of weeks ago um, is that uh, so many people have gone on the record talking about how generous she was and how exciting it was to work with her these are friends and collaborators no one seems to have had a bad thing to say about about how uh, she made films, how she ran her sets, how she uh, brought people uh, together, and uh, and just you know the, her energy as a person, and and uh, I think it's it's you know from our perspective as film fans, it's sometimes hard to know uh, whether or not, uh, what you're hearing about the people that work in the film industry is authentic. You know, you, there's a lot of spin, there's a lot of public relations, and, uh, sometimes you can get a vibe from an actor and they're, you know, and it's, they're masters of make-believe or, hmm. or, a, or a director or a filmmaker. And you think, well, these are great people and I'm so glad to be watching their work. Clearly in, in real life, they must be great people too. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, you got to take everything with a grain of salt, but the the uh, the testimonials from people who knew uh, Lynn Shelton and who worked with her have felt so sincere, and there have been so many of them. I have to to assume that she was a wonderful person to work with, and her work just bears out the the her levels of creativity are kind of off the chart. Uh, she she made movies very very differently than most people will make them, and uh, she she worked in the American independent scene and, uh, she was a strong voice and a, and a distinct voice in American independent film. Um, anyway, I, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's really something watching when you watch a filmmaker's work all together, all at once, you really get a sense of their voice and her voice was so distinct. And every time I hadn't seen all of her films, I'd seen a number of them, but watching the ones, uh, that I hadn't seen, I was just like, "Oh, wow! This one is also wonderful. How did I miss it?" <laughs> um, it's been it's been this one was a real pleasure, but as I say, quite bittersweet too. There's um there's a great interview with her from around. I'm trying. I watched it. Um, I think it was from around the time of Hump Day because that was the kind of the film that sort of broke her on the whole kind of Sundance level. I, I mean, she had two features before that that got her attention, but Hump Day was kind of the one that brought her into the greater public consciousness and and there's an interview with uh, on youtube uh, it's about a half hour long with her and mark duplass i think it's in new york city um and she talks about you know the fact that you know she that her films and i mean that's only i think her third feature but um you know what six i guess uh, when s the interviewer asks her what success means to her or you know in the level of independent film uh world and she says well it means i get to write bigger checks for my friends <laughs> which is it's like that is the best possible answer uh like basically like her you know like the the team of, of cinematographers and editors and the people that she's bringing along with her that she you know she obviously liked to work with the same crew as much as she could um and that was basically it you know bringing people along with her because of course she started out i think as an editor um before she started directing her own films and i think she made some short films but you know she always appreciated that being hired to work on certain things and 
you know, doing her best work and working with uh, the same people over and over again. So she's obviously paying it forward, as it were, with her own success uh, over the course of these films. But I just thought that was, you know, that kind of seems to sum her up in a, in a nutshell. Like, who wouldn't want to work with that person exactly? So uh, that 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 moment, because uh, I've, I've sort of binged on interviews with her over the last little while, like that, that episode of WTF with Mark Maron, um, it begins and ends with his kind of personal... Um, his personal memories and him honoring her, her spirit. But there's also an, uh, uh, their first interview together uh, is sandwiched into the middle of that. And it's the first time they met even, I think. So um, it was before he'd worked on glow, I believe. So uh, that is worth listening to. Cause that's a great interview. Uh, more recently, there's an interview with her and Mark Marin that was on an episode of the best show with Tom Sharpling, which got reposted a few days after her death. So I, and it's, 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 it was an interview actually done in, uh, in self-isolation. He drove up to their house and he stuck a mic with a long cord out the window and basically recorded this interview in their driveway, uh, with Mark and Lynn. And it's a really, I mean, it's a fairly casual conversation, but it's, it's a, it's a really, uh, great listen to just the chemistry they had together as a couple and just, uh, the, the, the sense of humor that she had really comes through in that interview as well. Well, I will definitely check that out, Stephen. Thank you for the uh, recommendation. Uh, yeah, I'm not done listening or hearing what she had to say. I'm not done with her films by a long shot. In fact, I have to admit that as we go back and, and start talking about her earlier films, her second feature, My Effortless Brilliance, I wasn't able to track down. That's the one I haven't seen. Um, from 2008. Uh, have you had a chance to look at that, Steve? I haven't, but I kind of... It's its not really available online anywhere, but there was a, a, a sort of a quick release DVD of it that went into the bargain bin, I guess, as a lot of independent films often do when they kind of get rushed out onto disc. And it's out there for not too much money, and I think I'll be uh, scooping up a copy of that uh, at some point. But uh, I didn't have time to get one before we started working on this show. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll we'll ha- we can't be comprehensive then. But no. uh, yes, she she did a her second feature is called My Effortless Brilliance, which is a great title, and I will also be seeking that out. But uh, maybe after the break, we can start talking about uh, her first film, We Go Way Back, which was a really lovely discovery. Welcome back to Lens Me Your Ears, the movie podcast that looks at new films and connects them to older films from days gone by. And today we're taking a look at the career of Lynn Shelton, who sadly passed away of a rare blood disorder on May 16th of this year. And, uh, you know, just uh, deeply sad. It it seemed like she had a lot more work in her, a lot more that she wanted to do. Uh, And she was also at a very happy place in her life with her relationship with comedian actor Mark Maron. So it's it's just a sad thing all around. But uh, her work is definitely worth revisiting. uh, And we're going through her filmography on on today's episode and and really really enjoying the work that she left behind uh and uh and revisiting some films that we'd seen before uh and they're the ones that i've rewatched. uh it's been a treat to catch up with those and and just uh and just uh, delve into her love of character and of of kind of unique very personal very real situations but it's also been great to go back and find the ones that we hadn't seen uh, up to this point and and uh, one of the major ones on that score would be her very first feature we go way back from 2006 and uh, it's a it's a really touching story obviously a very personal story because I think uh, 
Lynn Shelton at this point. She was in her 30s. Uh, she was dealing with the idea that of you know what had she accomplished in her life up to this point and that's a lot of what uh, the main character Kate uh, played by Amber Hubert goes through in this film uh, she's you know she's working in theater but it's you know on this production of a of Hedda Gabler the Henry Gibson play but it seems to be going nowhere and uh, she's she's pondering her life's choices up to this point in terms of relationships in terms of career and uh, she's doing it through a series of letters that she wrote to herself when she was 13 years old so so basically when when um, the character of Kate was 13 she wrote a series of letters to be opened on each successive birthday um, at various points in her adult life and uh, I guess it was her way of kind of keeping tabs on herself as she got older and of course so the 13 year old Kate who eventually becomes embodied physically by uh, a young actor named Maggie Brown or at least young when this was made um, who kind of follows her around and is kind of her her shadow version of herself who follows her around through the course of the film uh it it sounds like it could be way too precious by half but as it turns out it's it's actually a pretty effective device and it works really well i, I find that uh even even here shelton doesn't delve too heavily into sentimentality as um as amber is uh, is or sorry kate played by amber hubert is making her way through this kind of maze of of discovery and and feeling trapped and trying to escape the uh the box that she's kind of put herself in as a 23 year old so uh it's it was shot on 35 millimeter film uh, shelton was very proud of this film it did very well at uh at some of the festivals that it played at but didn't really get a wide release or a lot of attention uh it, it wasn't until later that when shelton became more of a known quantity after after hump day in 2009 that uh her earlier films started to get more attention it's like well if you like this film you should check out the first two films that she made and and uh this is available on amazon prime and definitely worth a watch yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I love this film. Um, you know, it does feel like a first feature. Oh, in very some much respects, so. But uh, it has, yeah, apparently, you know, Shelton had made some experimental films, sh- short films in the past, uh, but I found it so affecting. I think partly because I just recognized myself in the in the K to twenty three character. You know, living and working in a in the city. It's shot in Seattle area. Um, but uh, amongst a creative group of people, you know, she's part of this theater group. It's fa- she's a fascinating character. Partly, I think Amber Hubert is an actor who I'm not really familiar with, but she's luminous in this role. She's someone you immediately feel a lot of empathy for, uh, and she's so vulnerable on screen. Uh, and uh, people really like her. She's she's celebrated in her theater group. Uh, but she all she does she acts she does all this other stuff she does the group's accounting she's clearly a really hard worker but she's also really passive she just sort of goes with what other people want from her and that includes men in her group in her circle who want to have sex with her uh, she may or may not be interested in them but uh, she just sort of says yes to everything and she's starting to feel a little disconnected from what I guess she thought her. Uh, younger self wanted for her life so she when she reads this letter on her 23rd birthday she she gets starts being haunted by this Kate at 13 and uh, these expectations of what her adult self would be like uh, she doesn't have the same confidence she doesn't have the same passion that her younger self had and um, 
you know, I there were so many things about the film I enjoyed. I love the way she frames her shots. She she the repetition of shots on actors' shoulders, on their chests and arms. I love the soundtrack. A lot of Decemberists and Laura Veers on the soundtrack. That's really sets this sort of like you know rainy, sort of moody Pacific Northwest kind of vibe. Um, and uh, she does a lot of shots of people either sitting or sleeping on couches which also has this sort of welcoming sort of domestic kind of uh, vibe quality to it. The rhythm is very comfortable. I, you know, it's almost like she feels like a fresh cinematic voice, but she's also kind of fully formed. Like, I get the sense she really knew what sort of story she wanted to tell, how she wanted to tell it visually, uh, uh, through her performers. Uh, you know, the only thing I would say, if and it's nitpicky, about the film is I don't think that... Uh, I think We Go Way Back is a is an odd title for this movie. I, I sort of feel like Kate at 23 or Kate at 13 would have been a, a more accurate uh, uh, title. Maybe she couldn't decide between them and decided that We Go Way Back was uh, the right thing to call this movie. But uh, it, it's, it was really delightful, and uh, I'm so glad to have, have watched it. Yeah, I, I guess the title refers to her and her younger self, <laughs> you know, going back to birth basically um but uh but it, it works it works fine for me i guess as a title uh i it, it does you know it does have that feel of a first film but at the same time by this point i think uh shelton had done work as an editor and i think that shows in a big way i you know she uh you know scenes that need to play out at a certain pace play out the way they need to but she's also you know, not afraid to, to get out when she needs to. It's 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 eighty minutes long. Most most of her films have a very tight running time, uh, and and uh, you know, starting right at square one with this film. I and I think uh, I think that's something to be appreciated about her work. Uh, I think her films are, you know, they're kind of not sprawling, but you know, the the storyline often meanders and and goes down different paths and side trails and everything but at the same time she still manages to rein things in and, and make it concise and make everything meaningful and uh i you know i i find that's a real asset uh to her you know filmmaking toolbox yeah no absolutely and uh uh it you see it again and again in uh in her films a, a tone uh, an authenticity uh you know and i i you know i guess i've called humanism and that's something i see that it's kind of a, a broad term for 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 that you'd ex, you'd hope that all movies have humanism but uh, but you know in in the sort of scope of american independent film she had a specific tone and a specific flavor you you kind of you know you, you, watching a, a lynn shelton movie has a has something special that uh, that i really enjoyed i i guess there was you know in the early 2000s a uh, a scene a mumblecore scene or something i've heard her relate to i've heard her work related to that scene and i don't really know that much about that scene i mean maybe i've heard it more in in terms of the of music but uh but it's you know it's that shot on a shoestring independent spirited american filmmaking and uh you you certainly her first three or even four films have that going on though as i mentioned i haven't seen the second one my effortless brilliance um but i i uh i, I look forward to seeing it whenever i can get my hands on it yeah i i was wondering when the dreaded m word would rear <laughs> its head in this show but uh yeah the, the, it's uh she certainly does get 
linked to that movement, if you want to call it a movement, probably due to her work with the Duplass brothers on uh, various projects. You know, um, you know, Mark shows up in two of her films, and Jay is in. He's well, he's the star of of uh, Outside In, her last feature prior to Sort of Trust. And he, I believe he shows up in uh, at least one other film, and of course they are kind of the, you know, the reigning kings of that. Uh, I don't. I don't even want to call it a genre, but but it's it's just it was just a catch-all term for a certain type of independent film that had a very personal and some might feel self-indulgent maybe uh, tone about them. Um, but I don't. I don't find that's the case with her films. I mean, they're obviously sharing some traits in terms of their their use of limited location and and you know very um, tightly budgeted uh, production. But at the same time, I think her uh, her focus on character and the love of her characters, um, you know, I don't think she ever wants anything to come off as trite or cute or precious. Um, you know, it, it has to come off as real, and I think that's what sets her films apart from the rest of uh, rest of that pack. So uh, you know, and we definitely see that here early on. You know, there's some. Uh, you mentioned the the moments with uh, the men that approach her in the film. They're, they're, most of them are truly awful. Uh, you know, just completely uh, creepy and you know inconsiderate at best, but creepy and uh, and perhaps even uh, you know assaulting her at worst. And then she meets uh, she meets Jeff the farmer, who's like completely unlike any guy that she's dealt with in the, over the course of the film. Anyway, at that point, and uh, you know she she and and young Kate go out to the, his farm, and that's that's where the film kind of opens up. And it takes on this pastoral quality, which I quite like, and uh, and we see some of that in your sister's sister too. Um, but you just feel that kind of forested, musky <laughs> Pacific Northwest dampness kind of seeps into your into your soul, I guess, through some of those scenes, and and uh, that's that that harks back to your your love of her use of location. So so I I just find that she's working at a higher level, I think, than a lot of the other. Uh, filmmakers even even in this uh even in this early uh early feature which you know i i kept waiting for it to kind of have that kind of clangy kind of not quite right tone to it but i, I find it it never came uh the whole time i was watching it yeah no exactly and i think that's true of uh of all her films even the ones that i would you know i think maybe um I guess maybe touchy feely is my least favorite of the work of hers I've seen, and but even that had had a uh, authenticity to it and a and a like a true north aspect to the characterizations which she was so good at. Um, now I should say Hump Day from two thousand nine I had not seen before. I guess it's the one I'd I'd heard of repeatedly in association with her work, but um, but I I hadn't seen it and. Uh, apparently it was made in a 10 days for what Mark Duplass said was a budget of $15,000 which amazes me that it's as good as it is given how quickly it was made and for how little money um, it's a wonderfully true feeling film and explores that 
sort of particular male friendship that doesn't age well. Uh, the, the two guys that maybe were a little bro-y back in the day in high school, maybe a little homoerotic, are now adults, and their paths have gone in different directions. Now, what this film gets right, I think, is something that drives me crazy about some male friendships, and that's the competitiveness that's stoked from an early age. And I think it gets baked in. I think that's why... You know, if I think about my high school experience, I struggled to have friends who were jocks in high school because I wasn't competitive myself. Team sports didn't have a lot of interest for me, and I just didn't relate to those guys and the way they interacted with each other, their sort of physicality. Um, and, you know, I have to be honest, I kind of resented the fact that a lot of the girls seemed to like them. Um, but uh, <laughs> anyway, in this story, in Hump Day, uh, we've got Mark Duplass, her, uh, Lynn Shelton's uh, frequent collaborator, as Ben, and he is now married to Anna, played by Alicia Delmore. Uh, and they're trying to get pregnant. He's got a white-collar job. He's kind of a grown-up, or at least he appears so at the first but he feels very out of place in his good friend Andrew's world. Now, Andrew's played by Joshua Leonard. He's got a big presence, a big laugh, uh, kind of a Seth Rogen quality to him, I felt. And he's working, been working on art projects in Mexico. He shows up out of nowhere in the middle of the night. He's outrageous. He's kind of triggering for Ben in some respects. Uh, and Andrew invites Ben over to this party with this artist collective he's suddenly met. And uh, even Lynn Shelton is there playing Monica. Uh, and they all agree they're going to, or Ben and Andrew agree to participate in Hump Day, which is a real thing, apparently, an amateur erotica festival where they uh, plan to uh, basically, they dare each other to have a have sex together and make a porno for this art project. And we suddenly start to realize that whatever Andrew's issues are as a uh, as an adult, as a human being, however inappropriate he is and however, you know, sort of off the wall wacky he might be, Ben has a lot of repression and he is not <laughs> dealing with it and he's lying to his wife about it. And there are some incredibly awkward, skin-crawlingly difficult scenes in this film, but it's also very funny. Uh, what did you make of the movie, Stephen? Uh, well, this was the second time watching it. Uh, I, I saw it, uh, I don't know, pro probably a, a decade or so ago, I guess. And and it was great to revisit this film. Uh, it's it's I, sometimes I try not to rewatch things uh, too too often, but but this uh, this film was a real joy to experience again, especially having uh, seen so many other of her features up to this point, and to, to revisit this film and 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 see that kind of connection between the characters and so on. Uh, and uh, one note about it that I loved uh, in that interview I mentioned the the half hour one on YouTube that came out while this film was making the festival rounds, uh, she kind of described it as her, uh, her answer to the hangover, which is <laughs> because, wow. Yeah. Which, uh, I guess the hangover came out in early 2009. Um, and this film I think was developed over the spring and the summer, I suppose. Uh, cause she just felt that that film, I mean, as popular as it was and, you know, as funny as it is, uh, just totally got the nature of male friendships wrong. Uh, it was, you know, that it was, it was certainly a comedy, but it wasn't rooted in any kind of reality <laughs> that we know, um, and, or humanity. And so she felt that a, she wanted to make something that really got at, at male friendships, which is something that she also did in my effortless brilliance, uh, 
the year before to, in 2008. So th there's a lot of similarities between this film and that film, which wasn't as well received as we go way back. And that, maybe that's part of the reason why it kind of got buried a little bit. But then she, she saw something like, like the hangover come out, which build on sort of a similar foundation and was much more successful. And she thought, well, I can do this material and make it much more realistic, much more down to earth, still funny. Um, she also didn't like the fact that in the um, in the uh, in the Hangover, the 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 woman who Ed Helms is, uh, I guess, ostensibly getting married to, is, is such a, a harpy, such a shrew, you know, to use two fairly negative words, to the point of where she just thought, well, you know, none of the women come off terribly well in that film. So she wanted to do something similar, but also have the wife. Uh, played by Alicia Delmore, who's also in We Go Way Back and is in some of the some of her later films, um, you know, have her play someone who, you know, she obviously is put in a tough position by her husband's uh, relationship with this friend and this plot they've come up with, but she also wanted Anna, she she wanted viewers to be able to empathize with Anna as well and and see her side of the equation and not her just come off as the shrewish wife or you know to, to actually have her. Uh, have more dimensions than, than wife characters as it were usually get a chance to be in, in motion pictures so so there was a bit of an agenda behind the film besides the very funny premise of these two broy guys <laughs> attempting to make a, a a gay porn film for this festival um so it had the high concept but it also had some some real serious concerns about you know how you know, male to male relationships and male to female relationships get portrayed in films. So, so uh, it was it was great to watch it again with that in mind and with that knowledge, and and it it really uh, came alive even more for me after that. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's interesting, and I can see it now. It's been a long time since I've seen The Hangover, but <laughs> I I, uh, I can definitely get that that comparison. And uh, yeah, the uh, I would suggest to. Uh, to uh, our any listener out there who has who maybe our our male listeners who has who have best friends this might be the movie to watch because <laughs> you could get some uh, interesting conversations that could follow from uh, from from watching uh, hump day uh, and it is so well done it is it is so awkward and so difficult and so funny um, and you know uh, Shelton, yeah, uh, Shelton clearly at by this point was you know in complete charge of her her medium, and uh, for my money, your sister sister from 2011 is her masterpiece. It's a perfect tiny film. Uh, it was written and directed by Shelton, but apparently is 85 percent improvised. She said uh, when she spoke about it. Um, I think I saw an interview with her and Emily Blunt at Sundance. It was made in 12 days. Um, and apparently Shelton just sort of came, uh, Mark Duplass had come to her with a rough idea. They sat down, they worked out the character Bibles and then fleshed it out with the actors and, uh, they just made it happen. And, uh, it's the kind of story that could be told on a stage with three chairs and two beds, but, you know, Shelton brings these talented performers, the, uh, Emily Blunt, who at the time wasn't as big a star as she is now, but was on her way. Uh, Rosemary DeWitt, who is amazing. I, every time I see her in everything, including Mad Men, including other films where she's she's always so good. And um, and Rachel getting married, she was really good in that. And then Duplass himself. Uh, and uh, and then set it in this 
arboreal paradise that is the Pacific Northwest. Uh, the the crux of that movie is basically that uh, Iris Emily Blunt's character is best friends with Jack, played by Duplass. Um, since she went out with his brother Tom, now Tom died about a year earlier, but Jack is still dealing with his loss. And Iris suggests that he go and take some time away from from real life and go to out to her family's cottage in the woods. But there, he finds Hannah, who is played by Dewitt, uh, and she is Iris's sister. She is she is uh, gay. She's just recovering from a breakup with her longtime partner. Uh, and with the help of alcohol, things happen between them that might not have happened otherwise. And before long, Iris shows up, and then things get very complicated between these three people. Uh, the drama comes naturally. The laughs, they come naturally. The characters are warm and true, and nothing about it feels awkward or weird. It's funny, from having gone from the awkward comedy of Hump Day to this very authentic... I mean, both films are authentic, but the tone is so different here. Um... It, and it has this, and I don't want to say too much about it, but of course, but there's a loving, forgiving conclusion to the film that feels, it feels right on the money. And I, uh, I came out with such a warm feeling when I first saw this film and have since located it on Blu-ray and I'm so pleased to own it. Uh, yeah, and even going back and seeing these other films of um, uh, Lynn Shelton's, this is the one that stands out for me as, as her her best and if you've never seen a Lynn Shelton film I'd suggest start with this one yeah it really is a finely tuned jewel of a film for lack of a better word it's just uh all the parts fit in so perfectly and and you know a film that's largely improvised can you know can be a real disaster but but here everybody is uh you know really so skilled and obviously they, they've done some work to kind of establish these relationships beforehand I don't know if any of these three leads had, had worked together before. Um, I guess Rachel Weiss was supposed to play Hannah originally and then had to um, had to uh, bow out due to scheduling issues. So that the, so uh, Rosemary DeWitt stepped in, but she's she's so great in the role, it's hard to imagine anybody else doing it at this point. And I, I like the fact that it's kind of a, it's a triangle, um, much like Hump Day, only instead of two men and, uh, and the wife, it's... Um, here it's the two sisters and Jack, uh, who's uh, kind of caught between them in this kind of badminton game, I guess, getting batted back and forth. Uh, and I just love the dynamic between the characters, how it shifts over the course of the film. And and, uh, and it's just, uh, everything just is so fluid, the way it, it, it flows in this beautiful, compacted storyline. Yeah, it's this one was, was actually a little bit new to me, um, uh, getting ready for this podcast so it was, a, it was a real delight to finally catch up with this one so today on lens mirror ears we're talking about the career of lynn shelton who has sadly passed away recently uh, american independent filmmaker uh we just mentioned your sister's sister from 2011 which is a favorite of mine her following uh film from 2013 touchy feely uh is a uh is a I gather uh, less improvised. This one she d- chose Shelton chose to be more script and plot driven, um, 
and uh, I, I didn't like this nearly as much as Your Sister Sister. I think it's still worth seeing, especially for the, for the performances, but it's not as much, uh, it didn't grab me in the same way. Um, it's It's got an odd tone, which I don't think quite settles down. It starts sort of a quirk as a quirky dramedy, about a free-spirited massage therapist, Abby, played by Rosemary DeWitt, who's thinking of moving in with her boyfriend, Jesse, played by Scoot McNary, but suddenly and unexplainably has an aversion to touch, which throws her personal, professional life into turmoil. Um, and why Abby can't really discuss the problem with Jesse isn't entirely explained, but she anyway, she totally freaks out. Meanwhile, her super uptight dentist brother, Paul, played by Josh, Pay Josh Pays, somehow gets a healing touch which is also sort of unexplained, and it's something he cultivates by visiting with a Reiki practitioner, Bronwyn, played by the excellent Allison Janney, and Paul's daughter, Jenny, is played by Ellen Page. Great to see her. She wants to go to university, but she can't quite send the applications in. Uh, you know, so we get these characters who are all kind of blocked in some ways. They're all repressed, and, uh, and as I found it a little more difficult to connect with these characters. Uh, at, at certain points, this movie feels like it might be a satire on the sort of granola holistic movement and also on clinical Western medical techniques. But I think by the time the characters are fully expressed, the film has become too dreamy and uncertain for me personally. Um, but uh, I think that, uh, you know, for anyone who is fans of these actors, and let's face it, these are all great actors, it's worth taking a look at yeah it's interesting you mentioned the bit about uh holistic practices and so on like i i on the dvd there are some deleted scenes uh with alice and janney's bronwyn uh which do take her role as the healer that gets josh pace's uh dentist paul to to open up and you know let go of that uh, repression uh, there, there's scenes with her that are more played for comedy and i i i, I can see why they deleted them because it, it does kind of diminish her character i think the film does want to take her role seriously to a certain degree um you know it's easy it's easy to to veer into satire and parody with the world of holistic healing but a lot of people take it very seriously so you you don't want to alienate a good chunk of your audience so uh it's it's interesting the fine line that this film walks with regards to that i i do feel like maybe it was too many moving parts perhaps i mean i enjoy the film just because of that great cast and and everyone is great in it but uh, not all the pieces fit as neatly as they need to, especially compared to the the way that the last couple of small cast films that she'd made uh, work so well. Here, it feels like there are some loose ends and it's, it's a little more untidy um, in a way that the other films aren't. And uh, yeah, it's, it's not that it's unsatisfying. I certainly enjoyed watching it, but it does, it does feel like maybe the story had a, had a few too many, uh, a few too many not dead ends i'm trying to think of the word but just just went off in too many directions for it to easily come back together by the end yeah that's kind of how i felt about it for sure um but i was pleased when i saw laggies in 2014 now this is written by andrea siegel so this is the first time that shelton has uh not written something this is something she's directed she didn't write herself or or i guess isn't credited as writing herself even though i mean much of her many of her previous films are improvised and she has collaborated with other writers but uh uh laggies is interesting it, it uh it it's 
um, a lot more I felt a lot more mainstream a film than her previous work um, but still really has a sweet quality which of course is in all her films and uh, and as a result it's very much worth seeing it's Kira Knightley plays Meg and she's in kind of a crisis she has a, a boyfriend Anthony played by Mark Webber he's proposed and her father uh, played by Jeff Garland is having an affair and her high school friends including Ellie Kemper who's great uh, are getting very weird anyway so she feels like she needs a break and she decides to hide out at the home of a new teenage pal Annika played by Chloe Grace Moretz uh, Annika still lives at home because she is a teenager and she has her father is a divorcee uh, and he's played by Sam Rockwell and uh, you know it's it's an odd the the setup is a little clumsy i found uh it's hard to believe that meg was ever close to her uptight friends given their senses of humor don't really jibe and anthony is telegraphed from the get-go as sort of a mr wrong in her life um and uh and i wasn't entirely believing the way that meg and annika connect but because these actors are so good and because she's so good with actors shelton uh allows for uh, the the sort of ease of, of a kind of you know a domestic uh, romantic comedies to sort of uh, manifest in a way that uh, that is really actually quite lovely and I thought that uh, the weirdness of Meg's comfort with teenagers gets directly addressed that's a big part of the story and Knightley delivers kind of in a way that surprises me given her previous work to that point but Knightley is is actually a really versatile actor and I don't think she got as much credit earlier in her career because she started as a model Um, but she delivers this mix of awkward endearing and and attractive and uh, Rockwell is so good as we have since you know everyone knows now he is an academy award-winning actor he is the mvp here he he uh he's really great in every scene that he's in uh, uh yeah so i i think laggies is 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 pretty great fun and in and worth worth uh including in your lynn shelton uh uh viewing schedule yeah i definitely liked it more than touchy-feely and uh and here it is a larger cast there are sort of multiple storylines, but I think because it's more tightly focused on Kira Knightley's Megan and her relationships with uh, Annika and Craig, played by Sam Rockwell, I, I, I find that it's just, just a slight change in focus makes for a better film. And, uh, you know, and, and Knightley's kind of bundle of anxiety about old, getting older and not having any direction, I, I think it's really easy, even though I'm older than she is in this film. I, you know, I still you still feel that even later in life. So uh, I relate to, to her kind of inability to make choices or the lack of choices available to her. That's that's very relatable. And I really like the relationship between her and, and Annika. Even even if it is kind of unconventional, I, I was sort of reminded of like when I was, you know, uh, in my early teens and I'd befriend like, guys i'd meet in used record stores and i'd have these kind of friendships with with you know where with guys who were older than me but had no you know we had this kind of love of music and could relate on that level i guess so uh i i see kind of a parallel in my own life to some degree and uh, and 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 of course then there's that conflict when uh, she starts to have feelings for for her friend's uh, dad and and all the permutations of complications that that introduces into the scenario, I thought were were really well handled, and uh, yeah, I really, uh, I, I really enjoyed the setup and and the way it played out, and the way that the 
sort of the secondary characters are are handled they work well together but they don't overwhelm the rest of the storyline so she's she's definitely got a better grip on handling a larger cast with this film and uh oddly enough it's a first screenplay for um for andrea siegel and she she would work with jeff garland who's in this film she'd write a film for him a comedy a detective comedy for netflix but uh it's 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 I, I wonder how she came across this script and how she decided that it was the story she wanted to make but uh, obviously she, you know when she was starting out in film she had a lot of those same insecurities that Kira Knightley has here and I guess she felt she really connected to that yeah I mean she's gone on record as talking about how you know the autobiographical aspects of her films obviously there are there are elements that are completely fictionalized but we go way back certainly I think um, she talked about how feeling sort of disconnected from her teenage dreams when she was in her early 20s so that makes sense and you know at this point in her filmography i'm really noticing patterns in her storytelling uh she certainly there are stories of younger women interested in older men the inappropriate or at least inconvenient attractions between people and people feeling lost within their cultures or their social group or not being able to sort of realize the ambitions of of their younger selves uh, emotional misfits you might even say and uh, that's very much the case in Outside In from 2017 that was written by Shelton and Jay Duplass Mark Duplass's brother um, and uh, you know the, <laughs> I have to say that uh, the first thing when I saw this film that it reminded me of is a tragically hip song uh 38 <laughs> years old because uh jay duplass plays chris who has never kissed a girl he spent the last two decades in prison he comes home to his sort of small community and uh he's deeply in love with his former english teacher edie falco who has advocated for his release for years but uh that her character is married with a teenage daughter which really complicates matters um you know and uh, this is another one of the, her lovely little stories where the structure and you you read you know talk about the plot and it's like really like how how does this work first off you know Chris is a, such an open-hearted warm and loving guy I, I mean how it, did he manage to spend half his life behind bars and still be so kind this is my first question but as you go along with it you know his character is so well defined and is so uh, approachable and and all the characters are so uh, warm that you can't help but feel connected to them and uh, what I really loved about this film is every character is sort of compelled to speak their truth no matter how awkward or painful it might be to who, whomever is listening and I just found it really gentle and inspirational and uh, yeah no it's uh, Outside In was was really lovely and uh, it's, it's a movie that uh, that uh, has again it just you know part and parcel it's a Lynn Shelton movie it really is it's it's uh, it's available on Netflix if you want to see it uh, that's how I saw it for the first time uh, it, it did play the Atlantic Film Festival I gather uh, at the time but it it didn't really get a lot of attention once it made that circuit it wasn't didn't seem to garner the same degree of uh, of acclaim or distribution that that previous films had and it's a uh, it's a real sleeper film that that deserves uh, deserves a, a viewing. Edie Falco is fantastic in it. I mean, her performance is really the the heart and soul of this film for me. She's so wonderful here. I mean, as as she is in everything, but um, you know that she's she's really caught between a, a husband who's just kind of 
settled into complacency and here's this this young man who you know she fought so hard for who's clearly in love with her and and uh and and but is also kind of a danger for her but she's she's trying to do the right thing and choose her family over her her real affections even though you know as the film goes on her, her you know the just the wall around her heart is really really being broken down um and, and jay duplass it, I, I was wondering that too like I, I thought shouldn't he have a harder edge to him coming out of prison but uh, you know he does have that kind of wounded dog quality of, of someone who's been you know literally caged for for such a long time and clearly uh, his relationship either through phone calls or letters with carol his former teacher uh is what's kept him on the straight and narrow over the course of all that time in prison so so we, we i guess we have that to credit for the fact that he's he's uh, you know he doesn't uh fall back into a life of crime which would have been the cliched way to to tackle this story and 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 caitlin deaver who uh, most people will have seen in book smart uh is fantastic here is carol's daughter hildy who uh, who also forms a bond with chris uh and uh which you know may have some danger of going into almost inappropriateness but but it doesn't it doesn't go there either it doesn't take that easy path so uh you know that that balance between characters and and the empathy we have for them is it makes this film a a real real treasure yeah no for sure for sure now uh with what time we have left steven um i know you have seen little fires everywhere and that is the new series that Lynn Shelton directed. Uh, you know, she she really spent a lot of time working in television series and in streaming uh, and uh, brought her particular vision to series work, which definitely needs to be mentioned in when considering her larger body of work. Uh, what What's Little Fires Everywhere like? What did you think of it? Yeah, it's, well, it's amazing how many of my favorite recent shows she's worked on things like uh, uh, Master of None and The Good Place, Santa Clarita Diet, uh, Love uh, with uh, Paul Rust and Gillian Jacobs, and Glow, uh, of course, uh, the uh, the female wrestling series, which uh, has been a real delight. Little Fires Everywhere is uh, it's it's much more dramatic. It's it's a kind of a potboiler story about a Type A suburban housewife and shaker is it shaker heights in in, in uh, ohio um played by reese witherspoon who can do this kind of role in her sleep basically his elections tracy flick uh with a family in the suburbs and uh her life is kind of set on end when this woman carrie washington rents a house from her and she's got a, a turbulent past and and uh and a, a bit of a temper and and they 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 kind of become friends but they're also kind of butting heads at the same time it's a very uneasy relationship i'm only part way into the series but it's it's very compelling and uh, lynn shelton directed half of the episodes and uh, rosemary dewitt has uh, has a role in it as well as um uh, reese witherspoon's character's kind of best friend and uh her she comes more into play as the series plays out but it's uh it's it's very good very very worth watching it's on amazon prime i believe uh and hulu in the states um but it's it's very uh it's very balanced in terms of that these two female leads that they're very different lives very different backgrounds very different uh class backgrounds and class consciousness is, is very much at the heart of this story and it's it's really well handled and I, I can't wait to see how it plays out. You've been listening to Lens Me Your Ears. This is the film podcast where this episode we spoke about the career of Lynn Shelton and her body of work, her films, her TV, and I hope that maybe 
you have uh, been inspired to go and revisit the many great films that she made. Um, we are available to be reached. We, If you'd like to reach out to us, suggest topics or just respond to what you've been hearing, you can find Lens Me Your Ears on Facebook. We're also on Twitter on uh, Lens Me Your Ears. Uh, I have a Twitter handle. It's Flaw on the Iris. It's uh, named after my blog. And Stephen, you have a Twitter handle as well. Yes, I'm at NS underscore S-C-O-O-K-E. We also have a Patreon if you'd like to support Lends me ears that way, please do. Many, many thanks to CKDU for studio facilities in the past. Of course, now we are Hopefully in the recording future. in the future. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we are recording from home these days. But uh, thank you also for broadcasting this show every second Tuesday at 530. And many thanks to our producers at the Village Soundcast Network. We will be talking again about movies again very soon. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks. See you next time. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production.